Chapter Nineteen of the Gold Hunters by J. D. Borthwick. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sue Anderson. Chapter Nineteen: A Bull and Bear Fight. The long tract of mountainous country lying north and south, which comprises the mining districts, is divided into the northern and southern mines the former having communication with san francisco through sacramento and marysville while the latter are more accessible by way of stockton a city situated at the head of navigation of the san joaquin which joins the sacramento about fifty miles above san francisco my wanderings had hitherto been confined to the northern mines and when after a short stay in san francisco business again led me to placerville i determined from that point to travel down through the southern mines and visit the various places of interest en route it was about the end of march when i started the winter was quite over all that remained of it was an occasional heavy shower of rain the air was mild and soft and the mountains covered with fresh verdure were blooming brightly in the warm sunshine with many colored flowers in every ravine and through each little hollow in the highlands flowed a stream of water and wherever water was to be found there also were miners at work from the towns and camps where the supply of water was constant and where the diggings could consequently be worked at any time of the year they had expanded themselves over the whole face of the country and in travelling through the depths of the forests just as the solitude seemed to be perfect one got a glimpse in the distance through the dark columns of the pine trees of the red shirts of two or three straggling miners taking advantage of the short period of running water to reap a golden harvest in some spot of fancied richness this was the season of all others to see to the best advantage the grandeur and beauty of the scenery and at the same time to realize how widely diffused and inexhaustible is the wealth of the country inexhaustible is of course only a comparative term for the amount of gold still remaining in california is a definite quantity becoming less and less every day and already vastly reduced from what it was when the mines lay intact seven years ago but still the date at which the yield of the california mines is to cease or even begin to fall off seems to be as far distant as ever in fact the continued labor of constantly increasing numbers of miners instead of exhausting the resources of the mines as some persons at first supposed would be the case has on the contrary only served to establish confidence in the permanence of their wealth it is true that such diggings are now rarely to be met with as were found in the early days when the pioneers pitching as if by instinct on those spots where the superabundant richness of the country had broken out dug up gold as they would potatoes nor is the average yield to the individual miner so great as it was in those times subsequent research however has shown that the gold is not confined 
to a few localities but that the whole country is saturated with it the mineral produce of the mines increases with the population though not at the same ratio for only a certain proportion of the immigrants betake themselves to mining the rest finding equally profitable occupation in the various branches of mechanical and agricultural industry which have of late years sprung up while the miner though perhaps not actually taking out as much gold as in eighteen forty nine is nevertheless equally prosperous for he lives amid the comforts of civilized life which he obtains at a reasonable rate instead of being reduced to a half-savage state and having to pay fabulous prices for every article of consumption the first large camp on my way south from hangtown was mokulomi hill about sixty miles distant and as there were no very interesting localities in the intermediate country i traveled direct to that place after passing through a number of small camps i arrived about noon of the second day at jacksonville a small village called after general jackson of immortal memory i had noticed a great many french miners at work as i came along and so i was prepared to find it rather a french-looking place half the signs over the stores and hotels were french and numbers of frenchmen were sitting at small tables in front of the houses playing cards as i walked up the town i nearly stumbled over a young grizzly bear about the size of two newfoundland dogs rolled into one which was chained to a stump in the middle of the street i very quickly got out of his way but i found afterwards that he was more playful than vicious he was the pet of the village and was delighted when he could get anyone to play with though he was rather beyond the age at which such a playmate is at all desirable i don't think he was likely to enjoy long even the small amount of freedom he possessed he would probably be caged up and shipped to new york for a live grizzly is there a valuable piece of property worth a good deal more than the same weight of bear's meat in california even at two dollars a pound from this place there is a steep descent of two or three miles to the mokalumi river which i crossed by means of a good bridge and after ascending again to the upper world by a long winding road i reached the town of mokalumi hill which is situated on the very brink of the highland overhanging the river. It lies in a sort of semicircular amphitheater of about a mile in diameter, surrounded by a chain of small eminences, in which gold was found in great quantities. The diggings were chiefly deep diggings, worked by means of coyote holes, a hundred feet deep, and all the ground round the town was accordingly covered with windlasses and heaps of dirt the heights at each end of the amphitheater had proved the richest spots and were supposed to have been volcanoes but many hills in the mines got the credit of having been volcanoes for no other reason than that they were full of gold and this was probably the only claim to such a distinction which could be made in this case the population was a mixture of equal proportions of french 
Mexicans, and Americans, with a few stray Chinamen, Chileans, and such like. The town itself, with the exception of two or three wooden stores and gambling saloons, was all of canvas. Many of the houses were merely skeletons, clothed in dirty rags of canvas, and it was not difficult to tell what part of the population they belonged to, even had there not been crowds of lazy Mexicans vegetating about the doors. The Indians, who were pretty numerous about here, seemed to be a slightly superior race to those further north. I judged so from the fact that they apparently had more money, and consequently must have had more energy to dig for it. They were also great gamblers, and particularly fond of Monte, at which the Mexicans fleeced them of all their cash, excepting what they spent in making themselves ridiculous with stray articles of clothing. But perhaps their appreciation of Monte, and their desire to copy the costume of white men, are signs of a greater capability of civilization than they generally get credit for. Still, their presence is not compatible with that of a civilized community, and as the country becomes more thickly settled, there will be no longer room for them. Their country can be made subservient to man, but as they themselves cannot be turned to account, they must move off and make way for their betters. This may not be very good morality, but it is the way of the world, and the aborigines of California are not likely to share a better fate than those of many another country. And though the people who drive them out may make the process as gradual as possible by the system of Indian grants and reservations, yet, as with wild cattle, so it is with Indians, so many head and no more can live on a given quantity of land, and if crowded into too small a compass, the result is certain, though gradual, extirpation, for by their numbers they prevent the reproduction of their means of subsistence. At the time of my arrival in Mokalumi Hill, the town was posted all over with placards, which I had also observed stuck upon trees and rocks by the roadside as I traveled over the mountains. They were to this effect, War, War, War. The celebrated bull-killing bear, General Scott, will fight a bull on Sunday the 15th instant at 2 p.m. at Mokalumi Hill. The bear will be chained with a 20-foot chain in the middle of the arena. The bull will be perfectly wild, young, of the Spanish breed, and the best that can be found in the country. The bull's horns will be of their natural length and not sawed off to prevent accidents. The bull will be quite free in the arena and not hampered in any way whatever. The proprietors then went on to state that they had nothing to do with the humbugging which characterized the last fight, and begged confidently to assure the public that this would be the most splendid exhibition ever seen in the country. I had often heard of these bull and bear fights as popular amusements in some parts of the state, 
but had never yet had an opportunity of witnessing them so on sunday the fifteenth i found myself walking up towards the arena among a crowd of miners and others of all nations to witness the performances of the redoubted general scott the amphitheatre was a roughly but strongly built wooden structure uncovered of course and the outer enclosure which was of boards about ten feet high was a hundred feet in diameter the arena in the centre was forty feet in diameter and enclosed by a very strong five-barred fence from the top of this rose tiers of seats occupying the space between the arena and the outside enclosure as the appointed hour drew near the company continued to arrive till the whole place was crowded while to beguile the time till the business of the day should commence two fiddlers a white man and a gentleman of color performed a variety of appropriate airs the scene was gay and brilliant and was one which would have made a crowded opera house appear gloomy and dull in comparison the shelving bank of human beings which encircled the place was like a mass of bright flowers the most conspicuous objects were the shirts of the miners red white and blue being the fashionable colors among which appeared bronzed and bearded faces under hats of every hue revolvers and silver-handled bowie knives glanced in the bright sunshine and among the crowd were numbers of gay mexican blankets and red and blue french bonnets while here and there the fair sex was represented by a few mexican women in snowy white dresses puffing their cigaritas in delightful anticipation of the exciting scene which was to be enacted over the heads of the highest circle of spectators was seen mountain beyond mountain fading away in the distance and on the green turf of the arena lay the great centre of attraction the hero of the day general scott he was however not yet exposed to public gaze but was confined in his cage a heavy wooden box lined with iron with open iron bars on one side which for the present was boarded over from the centre of the arena a chain led into the cage and at the end of it no doubt the bear was to be found beneath the scaffolding on which sat the spectators were two pens each containing a very handsome bull showing evident signs of indignation at his confinement here also was the bar without which no place of public amusement would be complete there was much excitement among the crowd as to the result of the battle as the bear had already killed several bulls but an idea prevailed that in former fights the bulls had not had fair play being tied by a rope to the bear and having the tips of their horns sawed off but on this occasion the bull was to have every advantage which could be given him and he certainly had the good wishes of the spectators though the bear was considered such a successful and experienced bullfighter that the betting was all in his favor some of my neighbors gave it as their opinion that there was nary bull in california as could whip that bear at last after a final tattoo had been beaten on a gong to make the stragglers hurry up the hill preparations were made for beginning the fight 
the bear made his appearance before the public in a very bearish manner his cage ran upon very small wheels and some bolts having been slipped connected with the face of it it was dragged out of the ring when as his chain only allowed him to come within a foot or two of the fence the general was rolled out upon the ground all of a heap and very much against his inclination apparently for he made violent efforts to regain his cage as it disappeared when he saw that was hopeless he floundered halfway round the ring at the length of his chain and commenced to tear up the earth with his forepaws he was a grizzly bear of pretty large size weighing about twelve hundred pounds the next thing to be done was to introduce the bull the bars between his pen and the arena were removed while two or three men stood ready to put them up again as soon as he should come out but he did not seem to like the prospect and was not disposed to move till pretty sharply poked up from behind when making a furious dash at the red flag which was being waved in front of the gate he found himself in the ring face to face with general scott the general in the meantime had scraped a hole for himself two or three inches deep in which he was lying down this i was told by those who had seen his performances before was his usual fighting attitude the bull was a very beautiful animal of a dark purple color marked with white his horns were regular and sharp and his coat was as smooth and glossy as a racer's he stood for a moment taking a survey of the bear the ring and the crowds of people but not liking the appearance of things in general he wheeled round and made a splendid dash at the bars which had already been put up between him and his pen smashing them with as much ease as the man in the circus leaps through a hoop of brown paper this was only losing time however for he had to go in and fight and might as well have done so at once he was accordingly again persuaded to enter the arena and a perfect barricade of bars and boards was erected to prevent his making another retreat but this time he had made up his mind to fight and after looking steadily at the bear for a few minutes as if taking aim at him he put down his head and charged furiously at him across the arena the bear received him crouching down as low as he could and though one could hear the bump of the bull's head and horns upon his ribs he was quick enough to seize the bull by the nose before he could retreat this spirited commencement of the battle on the part of the bull was hailed with uproarious applause and by having shown such pluck he had gained more than ever the sympathy of the people in the meantime the bear lying on his back held the bull's nose firmly between his teeth and embraced him round the neck with his forepaws while the bull made the most of his opportunities in stamping on the bear with his hind feet at last the general became exasperated at such treatment and shook the bull savagely by the nose when a promiscuous scuffle ensued which resulted in the bear throwing his antagonist to the ground with his forepaws for this feat the bear was cheered immensely 
and it was thought that having the bull down he would make short work of him but apparently wild beasts do not tear each other to pieces quite so easily as is generally supposed for neither the bear's teeth nor his long claws seemed to have much effect on the hide of the bull who soon regained his feet and disengaging himself retired to the other side of the ring while the bear again crouched down in his hole neither of them seemed to be very much the worse of the encounter excepting that the bull's nose had rather a ragged and bloody appearance but after standing a few minutes steadily eyeing the general he made another rush at him again poor bruin's ribs resounded but again he took the bull's nose into chancery having seized him just as before the bull however quickly disengaged himself and was making off when the general not wishing to part with him so soon seized his hind foot between his teeth and holding on by his paws as well was thus dragged round the ring before he quitted his hold this round terminated with shouts of delight from the excited spectators and it was thought that the bull might have a chance after all he had been severely punished however his nose and lips were a mass of bloody shreds and he lay down to recover himself but he was not allowed to rest very long being poked up with sticks by men outside which made him very savage he made several feints to charge them through the bars which fortunately he did not attempt for he could certainly have gone through them as easily as he had before broken into his pen he showed no inclination to renew the combat but by goading him and waving a red flag over the bear he was eventually worked up to such a state of fury as to make another charge the result was exactly the same as before only that when the bull managed to get up after being thrown the bear still had hold of the skin of his back in the next round both parties fought more savagely than ever and the advantage was rather in favor of the bear the bull seemed to be quite used up and to have lost all chance of victory the conductor of the performances then mounted the barrier and addressing the crowd asked them if the bull had not had fair play which was unanimously allowed he then stated that he knew there was not a bull in california which the general could not whip and that for two hundred dollars he would let in the other bull and the three should fight it out till one or all were killed this proposal was received with loud cheers and two or three men going round with hats soon collected involuntary contributions the required amount the people were intensely excited and delighted with the sport and double the sum would have been just as quickly raised to ensure a continuance of the scene a man sitting next to me who was a connoisseur in bear fights and passionately fond of the amusement informed me that this was the finest fight ever fit in the country the second bull was equally handsome as the first and in as good condition on entering the arena and looking around him 
he seemed to understand the state of affairs at once glancing from the bear lying on the ground to the other bull standing at the opposite side of the ring with drooping head and bloody nose he seemed to divine at once that the bear was their common enemy and rushed at him full tilt the bear as usual pinned him by the nose but this bull did not take such treatment so quietly as the other struggling violently he soon freed himself and wheeling round as he did so he caught the bear on the hindquarters and knocked him over while the other bull who had been quietly watching the proceedings thought this a good opportunity to pitch in also and rushing up he gave the bear a dig in the ribs on the other side before he had time to recover himself the poor general between the two did not know what to do but struck out blindly with his forepaws with such a suppliant pitiable look that i thought this the most disgusting part of the whole exhibition after another round or two with the fresh bull it was evident that he was no match for the bear and it was agreed to conclude the performances the bulls were then shot to put them out of pain and the company dispersed all apparently satisfied that it had been a very splendid fight the reader can form his own opinion as to the character of an exhibition such as i have endeavored to describe for my own part i did not at first find the actual spectacle so disgusting as i had expected i should for as long as the animals fought with spirit they might have been supposed to be following their natural instincts but when the bull had to be urged and goaded on to return to the charge the cruelty of the whole proceeding was too apparent and when the two bulls at once were let in upon the bear all idea of sport or fair play was at an end and it became a scene which one would rather have prevented than witnessed in these bull and bear fights the bull sometimes kills the bear at the first charge by plunging his horns between the ribs and striking a vital part such was the fate of general scott in the next battle he fought a few weeks afterwards but it is seldom that the bear kills the bull outright his misery being in most cases ended by a rifle ball when he can no longer maintain the combat i took a sketch of the general the day after the battle he was in the middle of the now deserted arena and was in a particularly savage humor he seemed to consider my intrusion on his solitude as a personal insult for he growled most savagely and stormed about in his cage even pulling at the iron bars in his efforts to get out i could not help thinking what a pretty mess he would have made of me if he had succeeded in doing so but i regarded with peculiar satisfaction the massive architecture of his abode and taking a seat a few feet from him i lighted my pipe and waited till he should quiet down into an attitude which he soon did though very sulkily when he saw that he could not help himself 
he did not seem to be much the worse for the battle having but one wound and that appeared to be only skin deep such a bear as this alive was worth about fifteen hundred dollars the method of capturing them is a service of considerable danger and requires a great deal of labor and constant watching a spot is chosen in some remote part of the mountains where it has been ascertained that bears are pretty numerous here a species of cage is built about twelve feet square and six feet high constructed of pine logs and fastened after the manner of a log cabin this is suspended between two trees six or seven feet from the ground and inside is hung a huge piece of beef communicating by a string with a trigger so contrived that the slightest tug at the beef draws the trigger and down comes the trap which has more the appearance of a log cabin suspended in the air than anything else a regular locomotive cage lined with iron has also to be taken to the spot to be kept in readiness for bruin's accommodation for the pine log trap would not hold him long he would soon eat and tear his way out of it the enterprising bear catchers have therefore to remain in the neighborhood and keep a sharp lookout removing the bear from the trap to the cage is the most dangerous part of the business one side of the trap is so contrived as to admit of being opened or removed and the cage is drawn up alongside with the door also open when the bear has to be persuaded to step into his new abode in which he travels down to the more populous parts of the country to fight bulls for the amusement of the public end of chapter nineteen